That one kills me, man. I'll just tell you. It kills me. It's so good. Um, partly because, you know, there are these phrases that Jesus uses that out of the context of, uh, of his first century, uh, like, what is he talking about? What is happening? What do you mean? And so the idea that Jesus said, what well, we're going to be covering that over the next few weeks. Uh, I hope your, your heart will be encouraged as we deal with some difficult topics. And one of those difficult topics we're going to talk about today, and it's found in John chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to pray. You're welcome to turn there in your Bibles, and we're going to jump in in just a moment. Jesus, we love you, and we do thank you and praise you and ask Almighty God that you would be exalted and lifted up. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would move in this place. And even as we wrestle with uh, your word today, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. That in a very real way, you would speak to us. Uh, use your word, Almighty God, to transform us and give us strength. Lord, this is this is such a, a, a weird time that we, none of us have ever experienced before. And so, Almighty God, we're asking for your presence in a very real way, that your reign, your rule, and your rest would be present with us, even here, even now. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wouldn't you like a little slice of heaven? <laughs> we, we all, like, we, we want that, and we know what we're talking about when we say that, right? Like, oh, I want a slice of heaven. We're looking for a, a nice house that we can be comfortable in and, and rest in and enjoy. Or maybe it's a, a view that, that just, ah, it captures your soul. We want a slice of heaven. But there are some things that maybe keep us from that slice of heaven. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's finances, could be finances that keep us from it. Like, we want it, but it's just more than we can afford. Or maybe it's location. We just haven't found it yet. Right? Where is it? Well, I, I want to tell you that as you think about that slice of heaven, if our backyard is as close to heaven as we get, we have problems. I want to say that that is not a slice of heaven yet. A slice of heaven is afforded to us in some pretty big ways. There's no financial transaction, but the price was infinite in terms of the cost. And the location that we're going to talk about in just a little bit might just surprise you. So hang on as we jump into the word here in just a sec. We're in John chapter 2 as you're turning there. I want to set the stage. I want to start at the beginning. In fact, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in this time, God is establishing his rule and his reign and his presence throughout creation. That creation is his. From one perspective, it's as if heaven has somehow come down to this place and spread out. On the seventh day, God rests. So God's reign is established, his rule is established, but also God's presence rests in his creation in a very special way, a very unique way. But then, those who have been assigned to steward this rule and reign and rest, 
chose to be like God instead of be with God, and sin entered the world. And as you know, sin separates us from God. It's, it's sin that is anti-God's reign. It's anti-God's rule. It's anti-God's rest. And there was a separation that occurred. And in occurring, it became the norm. We all experienced that a fallen world, a difficult time, we've all experienced it. But God continued to bring hope to his people. And one of the ways that he did that is with the temple. And the temple was supposed to be this little slice of heaven that comes down to earth in this way that God, God's rule and God's reign and God's rest is physically among the people to be seen and understood. And this representation that there is more to this world than just what we're experiencing in the day-to-day grind of life. It's this temple that reminds us of God's presence. And it's that temple also, though, uh, that became corrupt. Uh, People started to do their own thing. They started to uh, be disingenuous with their walk with the Lord. Even, Even the priests were willing to look the other way or to charge exorbitant prices for things. Even the priests forgot about that relationship with God. And as they went away, so did the people that were following God. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And we're going to pick it up in John chapter 2. If you would be willing to turn there, we're going to start in verse 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. This is the first of three Passovers that we see in Jesus' public ministry. Jesus' public ministry has just started in chapter 2. We know of the wedding in Cana and the miracle that he performed there in Cana. And now, uh, in verse 13, we pick up. He's going to the Passover, which, by the way, people from all over the world, God-fearers and Jews, would come to Jerusalem. And in going to Jerusalem, part of the responsibility was to bring sacrifices, to bring a sacrifice from Alexandria, Egypt, you could imagine, would be very difficult. So they would often sell things, keep the money. When they got to Jerusalem, they would purchase uh, what they needed for sacrifice. That's where we pick it up in verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So this is inside the temple where some people are worshiping. There is a market. And that market is being established there where worship should be, but that market is being established there so that people who want to make sacrifices, they can purchase these things. And apparently, they're charging uh, prices that is akin to thievery, as we'll see in just a moment. Verse 15. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal, for your house will consume me. Now, 
just pause there for a second because some people, and I've even, I've even heard Christians say, oh, it looks like Jesus has a temper tantrum. Uh, that's not what is happening here. Look back at verse 15 and making a whip of cords. Jesus saw what was going on, had to go away and make a whip of cords. That wasn't an easy thing to do, and he's going to have to braid it. He's going to have to tie it. He probably, presumably, had to find uh, the cords to do it. And then, and then do this. This was thought through. And it was a part of his heart because he recognized some things. One of those things that, it, that is very clear is that there are things in the way of people being able to worship Almighty God. The slice of heaven that is supposed to be down on earth whereby people are able to enter in and experience God's rule and God's reign and God's rest is not available to some people because there are people within that organization that are cheating others. Verse 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And this is a preposterous uh, statement that Jesus makes. Uh, It would have been terribly frustrating for the Jewish leaders of the day. What are you saying? And that comes out in the next few verses. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? You're crazy. 21, verse 21. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus is making this claim that it's not about this building, this temple. That there is a new season. Something new has just taken place. And what new is taking place is that Jesus now is that temple whereby the rule, the reign, and the rest of God is present and can be experienced by others. I wonder where your heart is right now. I wonder if you are thinking, um, hmm, how does that work? Like, how do, we, how do we get there? Well, if Jesus is the temple, then what of us? Well, it's extended to us, and I'll, I'll show you a couple of passages. First of all, to us individually. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So God wants to do this work with people. And a part of the work that he wants to do is to allow the world to know that there is a better way. And that better way includes the rule and reign and rest of God. And that happens to us individually. That can happen to us individually. But but let's pause there for a moment. Because again... Maybe over the course of the last year, everyone in this room is in agreement that the world has plenty to offer, and it's just fine. Help me out. Yeah? The world is fantastic. We love the world. If all we get is the world, that's, that's just plenty. No. <laughs> that is not plenty. You guys got to wake up. It's Easter Sunday. Somebody help me out. 
Um, the world is not our promise. There is something better. And God has entered into this world to give us life. It starts individually, but it's not just individually. It continues in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, works it out even more. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Churches are built up into this temple. So it happens to us individually, but it's also a corporate experience that the communities around us can have this little slice of heaven. Not that we're perfect, but that God is doing his work and his rule and his reign and his rest is with his church. And in a very unique way, the world gets to see it doesn't have to be the way it is. It can be better. So how? How can that happen? Let's go ahead and look at John chapter 20. How can that happen? John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, um, the, the situation has occurred where Jesus was crucified. The disciples have been hiding out and running away for fear of their life. So they've been, they've been hiding away. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, and she sees that it's empty, just like Jesus said it would be. And she goes back and reports to them. In reporting to them, uh, John and Peter run down to the tomb as fast as they can. They get down there. And they see that it is true. The tomb is empty. And they're, they're putting this all together. And then in verse uh, 11, we see this. Uh, here's where it picks up. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she looked, she looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Let me just pause there because there is another temple reference right here. We talked about this at, uh, at the Christmas Eve service, but I'll just remind you uh, about this. In the temple, there was this Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies uh, was the mercy seat of God. At the mercy seat of God, or the Ark of the Covenant, are two seraphim. Uh, Seraphim are angels, one at the head and one at the feet, where the Shekinah glory of God was. And so there's this picture (laughs) that, that is occurring here. Don't miss it, that this temple, this life, this slice of heaven has come down. Here we are, and we're starting to see it. John is taking our hearts and our brains there, and in verse 13 it goes on. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. Pause. Supposing him to be the gardener. Now, that that could very well take it at face value. Oh, I assume this is the person who's in charge of this area, this garden tomb. That could be part of it. I would suggest also because of the writings of John and the way that this is laid out and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that there is more there, that John is taking our minds back to the garden where heaven and earth came together, where it's all united right there. And he's reminding us of that slice of heaven that we get because of this resurrection and 
Continuing on, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary? She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary is the first to experience the resurrected Lord. And it's that resurrection that allows us to be these small temples, to be this place where the rule and reign and rest of God is. So, with that in mind, let's look at a couple of passages, because let's, let's make that connection. Let's make it clearly. Verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For as by a man came, <coughs> excuse me, For as by a man came death, that's Adam and the sin that he brought in, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus brought the resurrection, connecting it, 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We become these temples Because of the resurrection. The reason that we're here is because of the resurrection. The reason that we show up on Sunday, the first day of the week, is because of the resurrection. Whether we're preaching in Leviticus or whether we're studying in Revelation, it's the message of the resurrection. Like, that's what we have. This is our life. This is where that slice of heaven comes and meets us. And we we have to be engaged with that. We get to be engaged with that. So the question that we come up with at the end is what keeps us from this sort of worship. Remember in John chapter 2, Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple. So do we need our temple cleansed? Is there something that is keeping us from experiencing worship? It, It could be... Uh, it could be a default sin. I call them default sins. You know what a default sin is? It's that sin that you keep tripping up on. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's cheating. Maybe it's stealing. I, I, whatever that is. is. Is that there still? If that's keeping us from worship, then it has to be addressed. The good news is the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the good news. So maybe it's that. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe this idea of the rule, reign, and rest of God has never occurred to us. Maybe we've never come to that point, and that's okay. But perhaps today is that day. Perhaps today is a day of salvation. And what that means specifically is this this slice of heaven comes home to us. Could look like this. Uh, I'm always cautious on this part because you'll see what I mean. This part, um, some people think that a prayer saves them. We call it the prayer of salvation. It's not the prayer that saves us. It's Jesus who saves us. It's faith in Jesus that saves us, right? It's not the prayer. But what I like about prayers is that we can have a concrete moment in time where we know that we know that we know that we surrendered to Christ, to his reign, his rule, and his rest in our lives. That's what I like about that prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's a very simple moment of faith where we step in and we just say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me. 
I need you to rescue me, and I trust you, O oh Lord, to save me even now. Amen. It's not a magic thing, uh, but what it is is a moment where we know that we know that we surrendered to Christ. This world doesn't have tons to offer. There are some good things in it, some nice things, but all of creation points us to God himself and his rule, his reign, and his rest is the best option. I wonder if you would be willing to engage. I wonder if you would be willing to just let God have his way even right now. I want to, before we go into a time of communion and, and the worship team is going to start making their way this way, but as we go into that time of communion, I, I just want to ask you to pause for a moment, just a quiet moment before the Lord. Is there anything that is keeping us from worship? Ask that question and wrestle through that. I love this season where, you know, we, we really focus on God and God's presence. We really focus in, hone in on um, the resurrection in a very special way. So it, it's sweet that we can come together for communion. I've shared this uh, a couple of times, and it, so if you've heard it before, just act like you haven't and smile. Uh, but I love to tell it because I think it really shapes things. And one of my daughters, she came to me when she was just real little, and she goes, oh, Dad, Dad, when do we get to have family reunion again? And I said, well, what do you mean? And she looked at me like I was an idiot. And she goes, Dad, you know, with that little piece of bread and, and the juice, family reunion, Dad. And I said, oh, you mean communion? And she said, yeah, that's what I said. I think that's a beautiful picture, though, don't you? That brothers and sisters in Christ gather together and we remember that our Father sent His Son to give His life that we could have life. I love that, that we're in this together and the church throughout history has participated in this. So it's not just this moment, but it's all of the moments up to this moment, and it's all the moments that will be where we're participating together with the body of Christ in a mysterious way. I love that. I love God at work. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He gave thanks. And he gave it to his disciples. And he reminded them to do this in remembrance of him. That This is his body broken for us. And we participate together. In a like manner, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it and he gave thanks. And as he did, he reminded them this is a, a new covenant. And this new covenant allows us to not have to go to Jerusalem to see the temple, but allows us to live in the world where we're at and be the temple, where the rule, the reign, and the rest of God is. 
And we get to experience that and remember that together as we participate. As a form, uh, just as one more announcement about this, I, I would just ask that you hold on to these cups. And if you would be so kind to, as you leave, just go ahead and throw those in the trash. That, that will help out tremendously at the end of the service. Would you stand with us now as we worship? I just pray your heart is unleashed to worship the risen one.